0: Hello and welcome to the Education Marketer podcast. Over the last few months, I've had the opportunity to create a white paper for UCAS on the state of student email. We often hear that email is dead for the student audience, but that really isn't the case. And if you're looking for evidence to back that up, this episode is for you. What you're about to hear is the webinar that accompanied the launch of the report. So I joined UCAS's Director of Marketing, Dave Penny, and one of its extremely knowledgeable campaign managers, Jack Taylor. If you're looking for the definitive answer to whether email is dead, you're in the right place. Let's get on with the show.
1: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's webinar. I'm Dave Penny. I'm Director of Marketing at UCAS, and I'm joined by my colleague, Jack Taylor, who is a Campaigns Manager here at UCAS as well, and by a bit of an HE legend, well, anyway, your LinkedIn post, certainly our legend, uh, Kyle Campbell, who is the Managing Director and Founder of Education Marketer. Um, And Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and we are talking about the state of student email and judging by the number of registrations, almost uh, 550 people registered for today's email uh, for today's webinar, it means lots of people are at least asking the question, what is the state of student email? So just running through our agenda this afternoon, uh, we have <coughs> run for around 45 minutes. We'll welcome your questions throughout it. Please do use the chat. I'm monitoring them on my phone and we will uh, put our your questions to our panel this afternoon uh we're going to be talking about carl's report uh, we commissioned carl to write a report for ucas looking at our data and going out there talking to experts as well as students about how they use email uh, and uh, really like trying to debunk the myth that students don't read email they definitely do uh email versus social uh what are the performance of the two channels and the future of those two channels uh, how you build trust so lots of tips throughout the webinar this afternoon on how to maximize your email strategies uh some advice around writing great emails how you really meet that audience need uh, how you get them to drive action and then we'll show you a few case studies of emails that absolutely smashed it out of the park so really stress do ask us your questions uh these uh webinars are for you really professional tips uh as people working in marketing and student recruitment how you can make the most of emails uh so let's um Let's sort of tackle the first question head on, um, Kyle. This report, the genesis of it, really, I think we both have had the, exactly the same experience. We've been on the circuit, out in a, a conference, a higher education marketing conference. There are a few about. Uh, there's a panel. It's either a student or some higher education marketing experts. And they they make a broad brush, definitive statement that email is dead. It's not part of their strategy mix anymore, their channel mix. Uh, everyone in the audience kind of murmurs, this must be true, et cetera. Uh, take that as received wisdom go back to their university or college and decide that they must put more of their efforts into another channel Uh, that's your experience as well that's uh, that's uh, happened to you on the conference circuit
0: it has and uh, long may it continue because more opportunity for us right (laughs) Um, um, yeah creates a powerful platform on which to have controversial webinar topics indeed Uh, i mean it's quite sad really because it is a very powerful very powerful channel and um, i think the reason it happens is because you're right there's this there's one voice that's quite compelling, and we sort of fixate towards the negative. And because a conference like you hear one session, but you've got five hundred people in the audience. Those five hundred people then take the 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 vow of one person back to the marketing office, and that becomes law. Yeah. When in reality, I think every every report I look to from every provider in the, in the space uh, suggests that email works. QS Keystone, whatever you want to put in that space, they all say the same thing that number one channel that students want to hear from universities on consistently uh, is is email. And
1: I have to say, having had that experience about six months ago at a conference, uh, uh, one person said that there was a lot of nodding in the room and then sitting on the data that people like Jack and I have access to, which is you have millions and millions of emails being sent not only by UCAS, but uh, uh, from other brands as well and seeing the engagement rates, etc. I really felt this report was an important thing to do to kind of like tackle that, that received wisdom head yeah. on, etc. But let's talk about your report, um, your methodology. How, how did you go about it? I asked you to write a report. Uh, what sources of evidence did you have? Uh, and broadly, how did you approach getting underneath the topic of do students read emails?
0: Yeah, well, in addition to your, all the data that you, you have uh, on offer uh, for me to look through, um, I also had I think it was around 15 different conversations with students one-to-one. It wasn't a focus group um, in, in my consulting work or any kind of uh, research projects I, I do. I like to spend time with people who who I'm interviewing, so half an hour of each student Every one of those interviews was recorded, and you can see in the report um, uh, some of the clips of those interviews as well. So if you want to get a bit more detail about some of the quotes I've got, you can, in most cases, click through to those uh, and get that, uh, that interview. So hear it from the
1: horse's mouth, so to speak. You yeah.
0: can, and there's plenty of great stuff to be hearing. Uh, plus there's the whole third-party insights as well. I mean, I live in this data every day in the work that I do, so I pulled the best of the stuff that I, I know and what I've seen and applied it to an email context. So there's a very rich like, scope and a lens you can... You can use to make those email decisions going forward
1: and it's fair to say you had fun doing this report didn't you, you know, i think spending, it's... i saw your linkedin post the other day and like the, the yeah. long form content challenge here was a good one for you
0: yeah no I, I i'm known for like the short kind of snappy snuff but actually a lot of the work i do in the background it's, it's normally longer consulting projects and longer reports they just don't um, see the light a day so it's quite nice to do one that gets a public audience and you know email as you know is very important to me because my whole newsletter is like built on the principle of like a regular good email that gives information to people. And I'd like to see that repeated in, in other spaces where possible.
1: Um, we, we kind of, as human beings, we like to have binary type things, it's mm. either email or social. Like, where shall I direct all my creative uh, activity and ethics? Um, and it's very easy inside a university marketing team with how high profile uh, and how trendy you feel if you're chasing the next social media. Um, uh, channel, et cetera, uh, to put all of your creative effort, effort and indeed your resources into social. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the key messages we want to get across in this webinar this afternoon is, you know, are you allocating your resources correctly across all of the channels at the moment? Is email seen as, you know, a poor channel to social, uh, poor cousin to channel, uh, to social, et cetera. So I, it probably makes sense to start off by looking at social media trends and what was happening. Um, and you know the the sort of the rise and rise of social can you know only go further and further and higher and higher etc. Mm. We are starting to hit that natural ceiling now.
0: We, we are. I mean, the any kind of industry has its its rapid growth and then its then its peak, and I think we are reaching the peak of of social media. I mean, this is that's we, a bold
1: call, but you can it,
0: you're putting it out there. It is. I am putting it out there. Well, maybe social is going to evolve into something else. Yeah. And we've seen a pivot to like private spaces and communities as maybe that's what that next situation is. But the traditional idea of social media, is these large public um, networks, um, you know, we are reaching a, an end in an era in that sense. I mean, this is data from GWI, it's a really reputable organization, massive sample sizes, um, and we can see that the the time spent on social channels has maxed out some years ago. We have no more time to give. Plus, we have a record low numbers of people joining social networks. The growth rate of social overall is at 3.8% right now. In 2016, it was like 20%. So it's naturally slowing, it's curving. Um, So for us as marketers, yes, we probably need new approaches to social media. I think we kind of accept that. But um, also that means that email and other channels, we probably need to pay a bit more attention to. And in recent years, we've kind of neglected them to some extent.
1: Yeah, I I think it's fair to say that in terms of the number of engagement with emails, etc. We are not seeing, in fact, quite the reverse. We're not seeing email um, engagement drop off at UCAS. Mm. Um, And then in terms of, uh, I I think this is really interesting and it's really uh, stuck with me since I read your report, is this addiction to content that we have as marketers, which is, you know, we operate in noisy competitive uh, social media environments uh, and we think uh, we see more and more posts out there and we kind of just join that conveyor belt, don't we?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I would I refer it to the, like the content hamster wheel with like the more we produce, we have to keep producing it at scale. And you can see here, this is like a couple of charts on, on TikTok and it's uh, viral content over time. So TikTok is known as this viral network, um, but actually you're, you'll see the number of viral videos being posted or the number of videos that go viral that are posted is in sharp decline, especially for larger creators. But even when you apply that to smaller creators, like university accounts, you still see that decline in the number of uh, people seeing uh, this so-called viral content. So it, it does suggest to me that we are uh, need to re-examine the, the audience relationship we have. And it's you know, the number one way, I think it was in a, a report by SEMrush, uh, that marketers feel that they can increase exposure, increase traction. In their content is to publish more and more frequently. Um, And that just leads to burnout. And eventually we commoditize the whole social space and we lower the value of content overall. So this is a very good time before this stuff catches up with us to pause and think about how we can do things differently. And for me, email is a huge part of that. Uh, you have a great phrase,
1: which is the circle of social, which I I mean, I think I must, you know, this is in danger of being a a Dave uh, confessional, this webinar, but I've definitely worked inside universities, maybe even guilty about UCAS, which is, your social media channels are so high profile. Yeah. You kind of know the vice chancellor or all the chief execs following it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, the internal audiences are, are saying to you and feeding back on your social content. No one's really looking or engaging or critiquing your email content. And it creates this dynamic inside a university or indeed inside UCAS, which is put all that precious creative energy into your social channels, mm-hmm. because that's where you're going to be the most effective. And that's quite dangerous, isn't it, from a, from a data point of view and just from an audience relevance point of view.
0: It's very dangerous from like strategy, positioning, all of these things because uh, I feel bad for social teams because the, the metrics that are sometimes measured on or judged on is how many likes, uh, how many followers, and both those metrics, and we've seen it in countless reports from different networks, they're basically worthless now, <laughs> yeah. um, No, the follower just didn't have the weight it used to. The content you see in your feed is often from strangers, it's not the brands you, you follow and likes, especially on like platforms like LinkedIn, just, they just mean nothing in terms of the weight they give to the post and the traction. So what really matters is how engaged you are of that audience. You don't need to go for a mass audience. If you know who you're talking to and you do it over time, you know who they are, then you're going to have much more effect that isn't as visible. Um, but, you know, these are the more important metrics you need to be paying attention to. Isn't it?
1: I'm, I, it's, a, it's a good point to bring you in, Jack, which is, uh, you know, I've often been in meetings where we've talked about the social reach and uh, the number of organic followers and that viral video, et cetera. I'm not sure I've ever um, had a high five from a vice chancellor for a, our most engaged email or the, the best open rate, et cetera. But these are these are measures which you look at all the time, aren't you? And the engagement rates for emails from a UCAS perspective, they are not dropping off, et cetera, are they? The, quite, quite the opposite. Yeah,
2: if anything, I'd say they're going up, especially at key points of the cycle. And I think the key thing here is that no one's suggesting that email is a standalone. It, it clearly forms part of a multi-channel campaign, and you've got display and social and events presence, and all of that lifts the email performance. But I think to students, email is is really arguably the most important. It's at the core of all of that because... You know, applying to university is a really big decision. It's quite an anxious time for students. Um, a lot of them, you know, some students have more support um, with the application than others. So it's about providing them with the information they need and being sort of a trusted partner. And I think email is by far the best um, channel to do that. You can really be by their side and sort of supporting them all the way through that, that application process.
1: Uh, I, I should say, um, just to stress this students prefer email point, uh, we did a survey uh, with students uh, last year, just pre-clearing and confirmation and it was uh, looking at overall strategy for Scottish Results Day and then JCQ Results Day. What channel would students like to hear from UCAS in terms of that? And this is the most consequential thing we communicate to them, which is their clearing and confirmation decision um, and the received wisdom. And the at UCAS was it would you know students want to wake up and log into UCAS.com and get the result there. And that was in the driving thinking at UCAS. And so we did the survey with uh, students who were rate, waiting, you know, on, with bated breath to. To receive their the results of their of their confirmation decision, um, and email was by far yep. the channel that they wanted to hear from, um, and that surprised some people at UCAS. Uh, I think I was probably surprised at how definitive it was. Uh, the data point is something like sixty five percent were saying, you know, email is the channel I'd prefer, and that has changed our whole strategy at UCAS. So uh, we put more information on results day into that uh, that email we send at eight o'clock. We have optimized our send time, so we've got, you know, we have to send 300,000 emails at 8 o'clock. We've got down the delivery time to 90 seconds. So we are, you, we are walking the talk here in terms of we are yeah. listening to the audience and adjusting our strategy to go email, email first. Um, it's not that they're not logging into UCAS.com, but the first point, the trust bit, is on the email channel. And I think we've got some data from your report here. Uh, this is for the pre applicant audience, uh, Kyle, but. They are saying in terms of that research phase as well, is email is highly important to them.
0: Absolutely. And I think one of the biggest shifts we've seen with email, and this is probably um, over the pandemic uh, mainly, uh, but it's become this destination to consume content in. Um, In the past, we've kind of used email as a jumping off point to other areas, right? Website content, whatever it is. But increasingly, people use email as that that channel to consume content from a brand and organization. And some universities I spoke to, I think it was um, the Fort leader, uh, Chris Acton at uh, KDG University, um, he phrased it wonderfully. He, he, they use email as a, an executive summary of the website. And you hear that first, you think, oh, copy and pasting content into their emails, but they're not doing that. They're, they're properly repurposing the content based on the questions that students ask. Uh, and they give them in a very digestible format they can keep coming back to um in their in their email as that destination, similarly, another student I spoke with a couple actually said that they visit a university website um they'll sign up for email information and then they won't return to the website, so they then use email as that default channel to consume all the content they need from the university. We're not aware of this. you yeah. know um. And so we've offended social bit. media teams. Now we've got our website teams. Uh, uh, teasing, joking,
1: but but I think it's how these channels have to work together, isn't yeah. it? And putting email at the centre
0: yeah. of it, and understanding how how they work as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's used in surprising ways for that that age group.
1: And just uh, thinking about uh, email as well in terms of just how important it is, um, and we're seeing, aren't we, in terms of uh, it's not just an education, but I think cross, you know, the whole industry landscape is there is a pivot to email, isn't there? So spend on email is not dropping off, uh, you know, spend on newspapers, perhaps, uh, newspaper advertising is plummeting. But, mm. uh, you know, email has been around for 30, 40 years-ish. I remember my first emails when I went to university, so that's, that's a clock that's been around for a long time uh and, and but it is absolutely as a as a spend
0: uh, as a percentage of the marketing budget going up yeah absolutely i mean um as a as a channel it's it's very good at generating revenue and there's a few reasons for that um generally if someone's an email subscriber um they they're more Super loyal, qualified aren't they they're super qualified they want to hear from you um they're more likely to convert they can make decisions faster and it's not just email in isolation but that kind of relationship where you're not mediated by social networks and again i'm not saying social networks aren't part of that um that play um but when you try and engage with someone on social media you have the gatekeeper of the the platform that you're you're engaging with them through the whim of their algorithm yeah, you do yeah, it's, yeah. it's a wave and if it changes how it behaves one day then suddenly the access to that audience is is mediated but with email you've got the address you can talk to them directly whenever you want it's very much more in the, your your core and I think as we move towards like, you know, cookie apocalypse and all this sort of stuff, you know, that owned audience, that first party audience is just essential now, really. Yeah, yeah. That's absolutely. Well, what do you see, Jack, in terms of
1: the marketing mix and spend on email? Have you noticed any trends over the last few years?
2: Yeah, I think I think it's a really important part of the mix. I think there's sometimes a tendency um, to, you know, look at um, individual campaign objectives and then yeah. split those out and say, right, we want to do an email just to, to drive open day signups. But I think it's, all about driving that support messaging. And Kyle speaks in the report to something we knew anecdotally, and I know because I did it myself back when I applied to university, which is students setting up a sort of university inbox, which is one place where they refer to specifically for the university um, research and application process. And that gets rid of all of the clutter. It has a lot less noise. And it almost seems to act as a repository of university in- information. So it's somewhere that uh, emails can come in and they can go back to. They can refer back to that content. And it makes it a really trusted environment. So I think it's it's thinking about email and, and the purpose of email is a much less cluttered um, place where, where students that are making a really big decision about their university um, application uh, can go. And, it, and it's a go-to place when they're, when they're logging onto their laptop and they're starting um, th- their research for that day, um, they can go to their inbox and everything's there in one place. Uh, so I'm getting some great questions
1: coming in. Um, uh, this is right up your street, Jack, in terms of what are the UCAS averages for emails based on audiences? Have you seen uh, much increase? Um, so I guess we broadly divide are reporting into the charity sends that we uh, send for pre-applicant and the applicant audience. And then the paid for sends, which you look after. So in terms of, I can speak about charity, uh, you know, a lot of those emails, certainly on a a JCQ results day, we're getting 80, 90% open rates. Uh, what's happening in terms of the paid for email campaigns? Uh, What are the trends you're seeing there?
2: Yeah, so I'd say on average, and it does vary, we've got a lot of different databases for students at different points of the process. But um, on average, I'd say maybe 35-40% is sort of an average open rate we'd be looking at for campaigns we run on behalf of uh, of universities. But that varies a lot, and we'll speak to some case studies later um, with some optimizations we can build. in. And if you get everything right, which I know we're coming to in terms of content, we can see open rates of 70, 75%. So we can see some huge engagement. And I'd also say that audience pool is is getting bigger as well um, with the UCAS hub becoming really central to that process. Our pre-applicant database is growing. Um, I think it's over a million um, typically. Um, so there's, there's a massive pool of students there. Uh, and the UCAS brand is quite trusted. So we have quite a strong opt-in rate and, and things like that. So there's definitely, um, I, I'd say email is becoming more and more important, um, yeah. contrary to the, to the suggestions of, of some. It's something I'm quite proud of. So I've been at UCAS for five years. When I joined the pre-applicant database was
1: about 150 200,000 mm-hmm. uh, because of the UCAS hub, et cetera, the changes we've made and the and the pivot to the hub and email, et cetera. That pre-applicant database is over a million. Uh, so yeah. a really big... Um, group of people wanting to hear from not only
2: UCAS, but also uh, universities. And I think it's a really important database to get in front of, because if they're in that initial stage of starting to shortlist the universities they're interested in, if you can be in front of them and providing that supportive messaging, sort of guiding them through the process, and then you're front of mind the whole way through, even up to clearing. Um, so it's a really key database.
1: Carl, someone who is uh, uh, watching wants to know your opinion on open rates. What is a good open rate? Uh, have, you, have you got a kind of a number in your mind?
0: It, it's very it, dependent on context, isn't it? Well, actually, my, my opinion of what was a good open rate has now changed as a result of this report. So I would have gone in and said, like, an exceptional open rate would have been around 40%. But now I've heard, like, from providers in the education space and also in commercial areas that, you know, they're getting, like, open rates sometimes of 70%. One provider I spoke to and one email got 90%. Now it's an outline um, and kind of kind of case. And also... Yeah, don't open depress rate... people too much. There's I one, know, right, yeah. Yeah. If you're looking for, like, a... a a kind of a good benchmark yeah. 35% is a good open rate yeah. um sometimes it's challenging to measure open rates accurately because of um various situations put in place by apple but you know if you can measure it to the effect you can 35% is a it's a good number
1: i'm getting lots and lots of questions them we're going to cover off um as we go through the um webinar so adam you've asked a question about engagement rates uh single pieces of content versus multiple content we will definitely cover that off coming up um uh, and someone just asking about um whether apple is impacting on open rates you you're probably the expert in that area what What are you seeing in terms of trends there
2: yeah it's definitely had an impact but i think what we're what we're doing on our end is we're comparing like for like so typically when we're looking at um comparing one send to another or some of the optimizations will come later on we're comparing against other sends since uh, since that uh, came into place so generally we're comparing on sort of an equal equal footing
1: uh, do keep your questions coming in uh, they're, um, they're coming thick and fast i'm trying to keep up with them where um, someone wants to know about multiple um, universities so uh, students signing up for multiple um, emails from different brands and how do you stop them being overloaded we will talk about that coming up in terms of our uh, our top tips there um, so trust is central uh, to email i think in terms of uh, establishing trust etc mm-hmm. uh, you start almost with a head start on email don't you so we yeah. know that there is an implied trust because it's email, it's not social, it's not mediated by. Why is it that students approach that channel with,
0: with just a heightened sense of trust? Control is a big reason. Um, if you think about a, a way that a lot of young people consume their media, it's through through social and that experience uh, has, a, has a severe lack of control. Um, you know, The content isn't from friends and family, it's usually from strangers. Um, but email becomes that almost like a quiet place. Where you can decide who comes into the inbox for for opting in, um, and it, if you compare that to like the the kind of typical media that a young person consumes, it's it's not as a nicely driven, really, is it? There's an element of control, as in they can they can see and they can decide who stays in. There's, there's one section of the poll where I spoke about why people unsubscribe, um, and there's all kinds of different signals, but students have a very low tolerance for the the of behavior that comes into their inbox, then if a brand is too frequent, if they do start sending unpersonalized content, that students are very quick to clean that out. The other thing that really struck me was that students have um, separate inboxes for different communications. And we have this myth that email is not a good channel for young people because it'll go into their personal email and it's a mess and it's horrific. Um, but actually, most of the students I spoke with for university communications, set have a separate account. So you're sending these emails out but you're only competing with other institutions you're not competing with everything else so it becomes a very trustworthy channel because it's one type of content it's only from the people we let in it, it's quite authoritative in that that media mix
1: yeah i, I heard that firsthand so i ran a student panel uh, at the ucas conference mm. uh back um uh, early in the summer um and uh, i had i think seven or eight students on on and uh none of them said they don't use email. So they they Good. kind of they all said they Take use email. But all of them I think nodded in agreement where they said, Right, I'm you know, th- these were students who are year twelve going into year thirteen, mm. they're on their they're definitely on their university or apprenticeship track, et yeah. cetera. Uh, and they all set up separate, separate email addresses yeah. which were specifically about this is my place where I'm thinking about my future, which mm. are, I thought hadn't occurred to me that, that is that is you're not in a inbox with you know the lad bible or the uh you know whatever else young kids <laughs> sign up to you you are this is a place where it's other universities or colleges yeah, they, out there
0: they use it as a professional um channel and you know it's either have accounts that are for work or they have accounts that's up for for study i was i was amazed actually at that. and that's how they did yeah it. yeah me too um
1: in terms of building trust um we've seen carl haven't we um certainly my email inbox is uh speaks to this which is the massive pivot to content marketing. Mm. Uh, We've talked about it for like, I don't know, 10 years of marketing. Content marketing is the next big thing and then you scratch your head and think, what does that mean, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic comes along and people kind of go, oh, well, the best way to reach people is on their inbox, et cetera. Mm. There's a massive investment in newsletters. um, And that has not kind of gone away now that the pandemic is behind us is that that is still the trend. and yeah, a lot of, uh, we talk about a lot about influencers and making TikTok videos, et cetera, and that's how they make their money. But in fact, a lot of money has been made on email newsletters, isn't it?
0: Indeed. And the the irony often behind these these influencers and these these creators, they you know, they're major on social channels, but driving their creative businesses, it's normally a mixture of web and, and email um, because that's where you know you have access to your audience. That's where the, the control is. Um, in terms of content marketing, and yes, it's been more widely adopted than it was pre-pandemic, but I think it's still a lot of, of brands and a lot of universities struggle with this idea of um, uh, audience. So we're good at publishing content. We can publish engaging content on social channels, but you know, we're not thinking about how that linked into email channels. So for instance, how do you move that, that social audience in which someone else controls access to, to a, a channel like email and provide like a link between the two? and um, so you have protected audience over time right so you're not at the whim of these these other these algorithms but yeah that's the trust is there um but you know in terms of like how we measure audience and how you know we take that and measure in terms of recruitment and impact we're not we're not quite building those bridges as fast we we should but you know there's lots of potential because we know that email subscribers are more likely to do all these really positive metrics that we've spoken about earlier so yeah, the opportunity is there for you need to take advantage. It's it's a very challenging thing to do, but um, we we should be looking into these uh, different options.
1: And the way I, we were talking about this before the webinar, um, in terms of what does content marketing and email mean? Um, and you know Jack's very strong message is meet an audience need. Mm-hmm. Um, and it occurred to me what we see in UCAS data is they like the email channel. They also want to know more about things like uh, modules. Thank you, Siri. Um, you also have um, new, uh, you know, a real need to find out about modules, et cetera. Mm. And yet we put all that module information on the website. Um, we're not bringing all of that rich content into mm. a series of emails, which is introducing your business course, et cetera, and, and really doing that in a, in a conversational way on email uh, well, at least I wasn't, I wasn't doing that when I was running a university marketing team, but you have examples of that from the States where yep. that, that development of that really rich content going to emails is tr- proving yeah. to be
0: very effective. Yeah. Miami unis all over this. Um, they have a long running podcast series and each episode deals with a course subject area. Um, and it's an academic, it's a student and they talk about topics and relating to that subject and they very simply cut that up five different ways and then they turn it into subject-specific comms um, and the emails get like oh, something stupid, I can't remember from the report exactly, but it's like 70% open rate and all these sort of metrics that you think really okay great um, but all they're doing is being very personal uh, with the content they are serving uh, to an audience via, via email, there's nothing remarkable about it but they've made the investment, they know that email is the channel For them to do that very rich, course focused uh, experience, in. Uh, Lots and lots of questions coming through. Uh, Someone asking about ROI. We will come back
1: to that one. Um, Either one for Jack or Carl. How does the extensive integration of social media content into email comms um, affect user engagement and retention? So I think the question there is Is there evidence to suggest that users tend to click on social links within email and abandon the email content without returning to finish reviewing the remaining content? I mean, I think I'm gonna um, uh, jump ahead and say, I think the evidence for that is no, uh, um, but you speak to the uh, what you heard about um, emails being opened time and time
0: again. So one of the providers I speak to, sorry, to in fact, a couple of them, um, it's email isn't just used as like this one time thing where people click off. There's actually a lot of evidence suggests that students return to email as a resource that lives in their their inbox. So. Think about that uh, provider I mentioned earlier where they use email as an executive summary of the of the website. Um, they see that play out in a number of times as emails are open. So students aren't just you know, hitting this email once and then throwing it away. They, they are returning to it to get information. So there might be some cases where emails use used more transactionally to link people out to things, but it can be used as a destination uh, and some universities are certainly tapping into that. It was a
1: new lens when uh, we were doing this report and and thinking about email is that test of will your email stand the test of it's going to be open three or four times that there's Mm -hmm. enough valuable content that a student is going to keep it in their inbox and keep returning to that. And you see that, don't you, in email performance, because we can look at unique opens, but also... Uh, opens over time, et cetera. And some emails have been opened three or four times.
2: Yeah, I think the average um, across all of our emails is two, but actually that's because a lot of emails aren't providing that content that we really, and this is talking about emails on behalf of universities. Um, I think there's sometimes a tendency to say, we're sending an email um, and we need to fit everything into it. And we need to deliver on all of these call to actions when actually the best way to drive engagement and make it an email that people come back to is about having a single focus that's relevant to that student at that point in the journey doesn't mean it needs to be short, but it just needs it. It means it needs to be focused on that content. And you can still have a call to action in there and link it in with your brand. Uh, but again, focus on that supportive messaging. So it's something that stays in their inbox and they go back to it as they sort of work through the process.
1: I've got a question there about recommendations in terms of best email software to use to deliver these comms. Uh, I mean, we at UCAS use Salesforce Marketing Cloud, big, big, you know, expensive CRM. Uh, obviously, we're sending millions. Uh, I, I think there are just so many providers out there. Um, you know or, or everything from as a mailchimp etc which uh you know maybe if you've got a smaller database right through to integrated crm so i think that's an incredibly hard one to answer definitively um it will depend on your budget and size of your of your um of your email database uh there um another one coming in carl uh do you have any insight in terms of usage of paid uh, uh paid for email campaigns versus the uh performance of university produced emails uh, to signed up inquiries and applicants. Actually, I think that's probably one for you, Jack. Uh, so we would expect, wouldn't we, that if you are, and we'll, we'll say a bit more about how you can make them more targeted, but if you are sending to an email database of 20,000 people who have said that they're interested in business and you're just targeting them on that basis, you're gonna get an open rate and a, an engagement rate of what, 35 percentage on average mm-hmm. click through. But there are ways you can refine that down and be more targeted, et cetera. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about Einstein now, I guess?
2: Yeah, so we've obviously got a, a whole wealth of data points on our UCAS database in terms of where someone's based, what subjects they're interested in, widening participation criteria for WP campaigns and all the rest of it. And um, We'll come to some case studies later on, but we've also worked with universities on um, using what Salesforce Marketing Cloud calls Einstein um, optimization. So that includes time optimization, but also Einstein segmentation. And on the segmentation piece, what it essentially does is looks at that pool. So maybe it's 20,000, like Dave said, um, and and brings it down to those that are most likely to engage. So based on all of the UCAS interactions we've had with them, we know they're most likely to click through on the emails and actually engage with the content. So that's quite a good way to narrow down um, potentially quite a large database to those that are most likely to convert um, to, to whatever it is you're, you're focusing on.
1: And you had a real, we were talking just before the webinar as well about other filters, you can put geographical filters right. at the top of it as well. Uh, with those dynamic content blocks so the more sophisticated and personalized you do with your emails the better
2: results you're going to get obviously yeah that's just a general rule and i think um sometimes the resistance is capacity and that's completely fair there's obviously yeah. uh, university marketing teams are stretched and they've got a, a lot to do but it doesn't necessarily need a different creative a different email creative for each audience it can be something as simple as the same creative with one dynamic content block which varies to show subject-specific content or perhaps um, location-based content. So I was working with a university who um, a, a lot of people didn't realise it that weren't in their home region how easy it was to get to their campus via public transport. So we had a dynamic content block that varied based on where that applicant or that individual was based uh, within the UK. So there's things like that where you don't have to redesign the entire creative. It can be as simple as you know one block of content that varies based on these data points.
1: It's a really simple idea, isn't it? I mean, I've still got lots of UCAS exhibitions. Um and try to explain where Oxford is, for example, mm. um, and just being able to do that very quickly in an yeah. email uh, in that personalized way uh, it can just lift the performance of that email. Can't it? Yeah, it's,
2: it's, it comes back to that point of not just making it relevant to the point of the cycle we're at, but making it as personalized um, and as relevant as possible to that individual um, and, and what they're interested in.
1: Uh, two quick questions. Lots of people wanting to delve into your brain here, uh, Jack, in terms <laughs> of email performance. And so we will come back to you in a second, call because we've got some great tips to run through. but. Uh, How much does the subject and pre-header play into the open rate? I mean, I think it's fundamental, isn't it?
2: Huge. Yeah, I think pre-header is actually one that's overlooked quite a bit. Um, So that's a whole different area where it's going to come up as a preview for students. But when it comes to subject line, something as simple as personalization in the subject line, um, I think we looked at our 2024 pre-applicant database. And if we compare uh, subject lines that have used personalization, to perhaps put the first name or the subject of interest in them versus those that haven't, and those that do, it's 3.3 percentage points higher open rate. So it's... You know, incremental gains like that, it's a really easy thing to just put someone's first name in the subject line and it can really drive up keep performance. Keep refining your strategy. Yeah.
1: Um, any difference in email engagement for traditional plain text um, standard day-to-day emails compared to highly visual emails?
2: Carl might be able to speak this more, more broadly, but I think um, from my perspective, visual emails tend to work best. I think it's part of the brand presence. And um, so from the emails I'm seeing, if you've got a really strong visual and that's consistent throughout the cycle, I think one of the things that you need to be wary of is, especially if you're doing subject-specific emails, for instance, try to keep that consistent because um, there are some universities who, you know, one faculty might look entirely different in their email creative to the, the sort of central stuff. So, shut up, shut so, up. So, so trying do to keep that. it consistent do is that. key.
1: Um, and you're your, your uh, we were saying this before, weren't we, is short email, not necessarily good email.
0: Yeah, not not necessarily. There's there's a general trend the younger audience that, if you're concise with what you're, you're saying, it's more likely to get acted on. Um, but there are examples of emails out there which targets like the older audience that you know are 10,000 words long in are like in the top 10 that most subscribed to ones in Substack, right? So it's not a hard and fast for all. On the, on the text-based one, I can definitely say from the students I spoke to that visual does help. There's a few visual cues that were quite handy to know. I think it was Steve from, from Swansea University um, mentioned that, if you put a chevron in front of like a, a link, it, the open rate, go, the click rate goes up by about 30%. Wow. Li- and just stupid things like that, right? That's, um, that was, so, that's a good one. Uh, I know, it's yeah, great yeah, though, yeah. isn't it, yeah. Um, so you doesn't have to, like beautiful like graphics or anything. It but can just like click here, like, click yeah, here yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: I love this quote here from, uh, I think it's from Vicky Hayhurst. Uh, we'll talk about all the experts that you spoke to, but uh, you know, in terms of that channel mix, uh, email is the easiest channel, um, and easy in lots of different ways, actually, For universities to strike a balance between being approachable and yet professional and that's Mm. what students expect. Um, And uh, just say a little bit about the trust that students have in emails. You heard it firsthand when you were doing those uh, interviews, didn't you?
0: I did because I I think it's uh, an opportunity for a university to play to its, its strengths and then meet a student need. Sometimes with social channels, for instance, it's very hard for us to discover what's acceptable from a a university brand in that space. And if you look at how TikTok's been adopted very differently by different institutions, I mean, that's the challenge staring you right back in the face. Some have gone very sort of personable. Others have sort of mimicked a little bit what they're doing on Instagram. But email you know, kind of leans into uh, a lot of stuff that universities feel more comfortable in as a medium and students, as a result, feel more comfortable too. I mean, several times, I mean, I think every student I spoke to, not one said that email wasn't their preferred channel i think there was like one who said it, it wasn't but you know the, the the weight is pretty much over to emails that that channel because that's where they expect to hear from universities uh, and the expectation i think
1: is the key word there um jack embedding videos and emails or linking out what
2: is the best option good question i, I think uh, i've generally seen more linking out but i don't know if kyle has any more thoughts on um what performs best linking out's fine i mean the the main thing that made
0: the difference between emails was how focused they they were so if you try to chuck in loads of stuff that linked out to everywhere and everything that's when you kind of get really bad results but if it's one thing uh then yeah that's that's absolutely fine
1: one thing we've uh, got in the report there is all the tips and advice so you spoke to some you know real cross-section of people from inside the sector and uh you know experts and and publishing etc uh and they there's uh, six really clear rules uh for getting your email strategy right um uh and i you know again the confessional i didn't adopt all of those when i was running email campaigns but the first one that i think is uh, is obvious which is create really focused communications don't throw everything at that at that the one email and expect it to stick
0: yeah and in terms of that focus like discover what the the, the audience say they, they want to hear right so you know the the focus one I, I speak to a thought leader um chris from um kdg uni he's the marketing leader and um, he builds his emails out based on the most common inquiries that students would send into the admissions team over a course of a year. So he took all that information and he formatted it into an email nurture. Then, on top of that, with the most common questions, he then added in content that students uh, actually needed to know. So you've got a real mix of a nurture flow there, but that is built on stuff that is very focused and based off the information that students are searching for.
1: And then you kind of create this brand you, on your email there, which is I I understand you,
0: and I'm going to give you the helpful information at the right points in the cycle, not just come to an open day. This is another thing that came out quite strongly, and um, again surprised me that some universities are using it more as a conversational channel. Um, so they're encouraging their admissions teams to strike up conversations with students over email to make those communications more sticky and. You know, based on the conversation I have with students, the priority of emails in terms of which ones they open, and number one is the the ones in which they're already engaged in a conversation with a brand or a person at that brand, second is university general, and then third is the more promotional ones. Mm. Um, so it's very difficult to do the conversational thing at scale, um, so it might be more applicable to a niche institution. but. There's no doubt that if you're having a conversation with students in that channel that they prefer to hear from you, it's very, very powerful and, and can be a differentiator. And
1: we've both had the experience, haven't we, running like massive um external f- yeah, phone phone campaigns yep. where yep. get a bunch of ambassadors, train them up, uh sit them in you know the office between four and seven at night, pay them, keep them uh, you know, watered and refreshed, etc., yep. order the pizzas in. Um, and yet we uh we kind of ignore the fact that they're answering. They're wanting to hear from, they're wanting that conversation to start in email. Um, yeah. I guess the question I had in my mind after reading this report is the phone campaigns can be effective, but mm-hmm. are we ignoring email that is always on? We don't have to just do it that one moment, etc. Normalize having a conversation on email.
0: I think that's a really good thing to take away from it. And that email conversation, as you say, it doesn't have to be from like a, a faculty member or an admissions team member. It can be using your existing sort of peer-to-peer structures that you, you have in place to, to do that. Surprisingly, and I think there's one shot earlier in the report that highlights that you know, instant chat isn't up, up there at the top of the preferred um, methods that students want to communicate with the university. Which again surprised me. Email yeah. just I come out top, too. so you know, taking that effort of the the call center and redirecting it into a, an email focused campaign. Might not be a bad use of resource.
1: I mean, these are big strategic calls, aren't they? But the yeah. evidence for email, I think, uh, versus perhaps, well, phone calls are quite intrusive, aren't they? That, you know, a lot of training to get them right yeah. versus, you know, an email conversation, which could just be that much more, I guess, nurturing,
0: isn't it? Mm. And it's probably quite unnatural for the, the people making the calls to do them as well, because yeah, they're, yeah, no, they're
1: no, no. students I, too, I,
2: right? <laughs> I feel that pain. I yeah. feel
1: that. Uh, be personalized. Um, you and I, another top tip in there, which is about, you know, uh and personalization, big word, et cetera. What occurred to me when we were talking about this is a personalized website is, uh, you know, a technology, uh, you know, it's expensive from a technology point of view, incredibly hard, multiple personas, etc It's hard to pull off a really, truly pe- yeah. personalized website. And I know a lot of universities have that as their strategy, but perhaps they are not spending enough time thinking about the personalization of their emails.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's easier, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, mu- mu- from a technical point, much easier. Much easier. Um, and and chance- you can see
1: the engagement. So, the, you know, they read this email, do this next thing, the triggering, etc. Yep. From a technology point of view, that's what CRMs are great at.
0: Mm, and I think, you know, based on the, the kind of stuff we already covered, like the, the idea of an email being an executive summary of, of a website, you know, you can kind of take um, elements of that personalization strategy and repurpose it for email. We have course content that could repurpose for separate emails as well. The podcast content I spoke about earlier. You can be very powerful uh, with personalization in, in an email-based environment because you, already, you know a lot about that person who's consuming that content. A little bit diff, more difficult to do that on, on a website, especially if you've got so many different audiences as well. Yeah. I
1: mean, it's a basic tenet of personalization. They clicked on this thing, therefore they're interested in it. Yeah. I should do more around this mm-hmm. topic. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to build the building blocks of personalization through email. Yeah, it? it's,
0: it's much easier than doing it on a, a whole web estate for yeah. sure, yeah.
1: So, uh,
0: so next
1: conversation you need to go and have is with your IT department <laughs> around. This. So we've done social, uh, read, read, read on your social strategy, etc. Uh, ITs. Um, in terms of lots of questions around uh, top tips of how to make your emails effective. Um, uh, and Jack and Kyle, um, we saw this in terms. Of, I really like this phrase: top and tail with sales. So have the sales message at the top, maybe finish with it but have really useful content in the middle of your emails.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this uh, works not just in the actual single body of the email itself, the the unit. Um, it works for entire email campaigns as well. Um, I won't take credit for this thought. This came from Philip, uh, Philip Smith. Um, he is a consultant who works with uh, universities on building out email uh, at so um, the, the clients he works with, he typically structures the campaigns that be between two windows. So at the front end of the window, you've got a two-week window, it's when the lead first comes in. Uh, and that's when people are most responsive to sales-based messages. In an education context, what I'm talking about here is the, like sign up to Open Day, have a chat with academic, have a chat with a student, action-based um, things that a student can do to make them more engaged. Then you've got that uh, middle bit that you've, you've spoken about there—the more nurture-based stuff, the, uh, the stuff about what the university is about, about establishing fit for the student—and then the the final window is a two weeks before a decision has to be uh, has to be made. That's when they're more receptive to those next load uh, of uh, course actions. So top and tail sales, yeah, I've never heard it used in that context either, but I quite like it as, a, as an methodology.
1: It's good, isn't it, in marketing when we get these little uh, kind of right memorable things, and yeah. it gives you. I'm um, so the two things I've taken away from. in terms of is my email going to be open three or four times is there enough Mm. content for them to come back to you know remembering that email is going to stay in their dedicated email inbox etc top and tail with sales but jack this is something you're super passionate about which is don't just uh use email email is not the answer to all of your (laughs) prayers etc it has to be used in conjunction with other strategies and uh ucas we can help you do that because we can target on email uh, specifically, and then uh, use that proprietary data to target on social channels as well, which tends to make our campaigns more effective. And I know you'll talk about that later.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, we'll come to some case studies later on. But I think in every case, if I think of a successful campaign, I don't think any of them are just an email sender. I don't think with any marketing, you know, one channel is ever really enough. But if you use those other channels really effectively, so, you know, look at, we can build our uh, first part email data into social campaigns and target those exact same people, from maybe more of a brand awareness perspective or to sort of drive those conversions if they've already engaged with the email, Uh, but also looking at display. We have a lot of um, really high-performing display on the UCAS website, balancing all of those channels and also doing it in a way that fits with that student journey. So it's multi-touch point, it's multi-channel, but I think email is definitely at the sort of center of that.
1: Um, Carl, a question here. Do you have any advice for strategies for effectively communicating with internal stakeholders, who believe that simply sending more emails is the solution to sales and marketing challenges?
0: Um, send them this never, report. Never come <laughs> across. Yes, yes. Send <laughs> um, oh, I don't think I can add any value to the normal sort of strategies just to dealing with stakeholders, buying and all that sort of stuff. I mean, any kind of conversation like this, I think it's good to um, do some just pilot. So, you know, prove your kind of point that what you're trying to sell to them works. Um, then back it up with the third party kind of insight from, from this report, for instance, and then present it as a, a business case for yeah. change. Yeah, I mean, obviously, use the data to tell that story. Use as the well. data. Yeah. Um,
1: a question around international uh, response rates, um, which is is thirty five percent a good response rate or an open rate, I should say, for international audiences. And um, my experience is international audience uh, response rates tend to perform less well than home students. Um, I think that's probably for a couple of reasons. Uh, Just number one, I think email adoption varies by country. Um, I think there are different media habits and you just have more barriers in the way some of those emails are with agents, etc. So the the, the quality of the data for international is not always the same, is
2: it? It's a really good question. I think that there's some markets, if I look at international campaigns um, we run for universities, there's some markets where it's the opposite picture where engagement uh, in terms of open rates and click through rates is much higher. On the whole, it's probably generally lower, Um, but it's also about aligning and thinking about a sort of comms strategy that's specific to them. I think sometimes universities will group an international audience into um, the same thing they're sending to the UK audience, but they might not be at that point. They might not be at the same sort of part of the journey as such, and they also might be considering multiple countries, and the UK could just be one of those, so they could be receiving, you know, even more comms than than a UK student. Indeed. Um, Be fast is our final top tip from the report. Um,
1: And... Uh, the good news is that you don't have to be super fast, is that students' expectations, if you do have that conversational email strategy about, uh, you know, you use your CRM to perhaps enter into conversation, their expectations about how they're going to get back to you is, is not as is not as fast as I expected.
0: Uh, no, um, and I think the general benchmark is that in 40% of students expect to apply within one, two, three days, another 40% expect it within a week, and only 5% expect it like the same day. This is very different to um, commercial benchmarks where for most brands, their reply is expected within four hours. Uh, can you imagine, right? Um, so yeah, it's not, the time pressure isn't there. The couple of insights from the report and uh, around, around speed was that some students, they weren't necessarily worried about the, uh, the institution um, that was potentially the, the aspirational uh, uh, choice. Uh, they were very engaged, the people who got back to them very quickly. <laughs> Um and as a result, you know, they're more open to hearing from that institution. They've already made some some commitment. Um, so you know, being fast and getting back to people as quickly as possible is is a huge differentiator, and probably more so than than we actually think. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, we are fast running out of time, so let's just quickly uh,
1: run through a couple of points. Um, and Jack's got some case studies he wants to share. Um, driving action is definitely. Uh, email. So you, you spoke to a lot of students um, and we, we find it hard to get students to admit that they saw a marketing message and uh, they did something as a result of that. I think human beings like want to feel like yeah. we're, we're not like that, are we? I didn't watch that TV ad and go good. out and buy an ice cream, Except <laughs> It
0: had no effect on me. No effect on me, <laughs> me
1: whatsoever, I'm um, immune to that. But, but students you spoke to frequently and freely admitted that yeah. they did something as a result of receiving an email and, 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 and what, you know, what were the top tips
0: there? Pretty surprising, right? First of all, I mean, I I can't believe that this was the case. I I expected people to go, no, I'm not not controlled and all that. But, you know, they are generally more open to taking action from the email they receive from those those trusted uh, providers. And um, a thing that came up very frequently was Open Day related content. A lot of students I spoke to spoke very fondly of this. Um, So we do worry that we're sending too much about reminders and information, but no, um, I think they like it. They like, like the it. Even the post-event ones, and yeah. you know, even if a student I spoke to, even though she didn't attend, she was very happy that she received information post the event, uh, so she could see what she missed and what the next uh, steps would be. So, yeah, again, they surprised me with that one, but very open to hearing from the more direct stuff as well as the more destination contenty uh, sort of marketing that we spoke about earlier um and let's uh Kyle um sorry uh Jack let's uh,
1: delve into a couple of the case studies to to wrap up our webinar um you have been running uh, marketing campaigns for universities for a few years at UCAS you're uh, just looking at how clearing has gone this year um mm-hmm. so, so let's talk about some of the case studies that we saw but as an average
2: performance indicator yeah. uh, just talk about what you saw in 2022 Yeah. So UCAS has the benefit of with our email campaigns, we can attribute not just looking at open rates and click-through rates, but all the way through to how many of those you contacted went on to apply and then accept a place um, at your university. And looking at our 2022 campaigns in total, um, we saw a 7.3% average conversion rate from email to application. So for emails we were sending on behalf of universities, 7.3% of those went on to apply to one of those universities, which is of course linked up to the fact that those campaigns were backed by all of those other channels um, but yeah really really strong conversion rate and just shows the power i think that an email campaign can have if it's done right
1: and it allows you to uh in some ways to carefully plan out your marketing activity because that that Absolutely. big metric to to kind of benchmark against um and then uh let's talk about one large post 92 university uh in terms of the results
2: that they got yeah so we worked with a large post 92 university and we saw over twenty-four thousand applications um, looking at the 2023 January deadline, from those we contacted on our pre-applicant database for 2023, um, and that works at a 7.76% proportion applied. And if we look at the sort of attributable campaign spend for those emails, and um, that's a £6.74 estimated cost per applicant. So, um, just shows that you know, if you, if you've got it right and you've got the right creative and the right targeting and use some of the AI tools we've we've spoken about to sort of turbocharge performance as well, you can really drive some brilliant results. 24,000 applications is not uh, not to be sneezed at,
1: is I've no. worked for institutions that get less than 24,000 applications in total, so there was a little bit of jealousy there for me. And then uh, we've just gone through uh, clearing and confirmation, we'll talk about that next week on a webinar in terms of, but uh, I, I guess what we have seen as a headline around clearing and confirmation this year, there's been a lot of activity, you know, clearing is back for sort of uh, at 2019 plus levels in Definitely. terms of uh, universities and students uh, using clearing to, to get a
2: place. Um, and you work with one provider, um, and just talk about the results you saw. Yeah, we've seen really strong performance across the board in clearing this year on, you know, display, ucas.com, and, and social campaigns, but particularly in terms of email. And this is probably the most up-to-date example we can give you in terms of the sort of conversions and uh, an email send. And this is just a single email send on JCQ results days was our top performing this year. Um, and a pr- this provider had been, you know, doing all the sort of uh, pre-applicant stuff, following it through all the way. But from this one email send, we saw a 65% open rate uh 427 unique clicks and of that 150 um of those people that received the email went on to accept a place with them during clearing. So that's from a, a single email send, 150 clearing acceptances. We
1: won't labor the point 150 times nine two
2: fifty. Speaks for it yeah. if you're <laughs> arguing, we can all do the math there. Uh
1: right. Brilliant stuff. Um Kyle, um just give us your top two or three tips in terms of uh reading that report. What what are your big key messages that you want people to take away?
0: It's not dead. It's still still here. Uh, it's just still firing all cylinders. Um, the the one thing that I kind of want to take away from it is that understanding how um, email fits in with social media. I, I think we put a lot of emphasis on social media and we create some fantastic content, but we're not looking at how we can move those audiences over into email based channels, or we can build out very rich content focused programs on subject areas more effectively. Uh, than we can do it in, in social media environments.
1: Yeah, if you think about a TikTok channel trying to reach the business student on the TikTok, the generic university channel, oh, it's right. really it's, hard. It's very difficult. You yeah. can do that really specifically, um, yeah. repurpose that content and use it on email.
0: Yeah, and the other thing I'd say is maybe look at how you can treat email more like a, a destination for for content rather than a jumping off point to various other things that you, you want them to do. I think there's a very long-term rewarding uh, thing to be, be found from that. And Jack, your
2: top tip uh, in terms of email use? I won't say the multi-channel thing again, but other than that, I'd say... But um, do make them multi-channel, <laughs> yes. Multi-channel, but start early. So start, you know, follow um, your, you know, various touch points throughout that um, application process and that research process, um, but also focus on adding value. So be as personalized yeah. as you can and add value for that individual applicant, because that's what's going to make them, you know, come back to your content and really you know, consider you as a university that's uh, high up on their list.
1: Look at those emails that you're going to send through that lens of will they be open two or three times? Are they going to keep being useful in their email inbox? Uh, thank you uh, to both Carl and Jack. Uh, thank you for your questions as well. Some uh, lots, lots of questions. I hope Hopefully we got to all of them, uh, but re- really, really um, fascinating uh, questions there. From all of us here on the panel, thank you for watching. Read the report, uh, share it far and wide, and we'll see you all again soon. Bye-bye. The rest of
0: the people, the rest of the people, the rest of the people, the rest of the people.